Hello and welcome to the Christchurch Podcast. My name is Grant Caldwell and this Lenten and Easter season, I'll be joined each week by other pastors on staff as we reflect on New Life Rising, a new devotional by Christianity Today that we'll be reading together churchwide. In this podcast, we'll do as the book's introduction invites us to do, journey through the somber season of Lent, into the dark depths of Good Friday, and out into the marvelous light to Easter and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We'll be led through the landscape of Jesus' homeland and the journey he walks through times of confusion, despair, and hope, and into everlasting joy. As we have these weekly conversations together through the seasons of Lent and Easter, we'll wonder and discuss what we believe needs to die in order to lead to vibrant life in our unique context of vocation and community, embracing the gift of the gospel. On today's show, we'll be looking at the fourth chapter in Christianity Today's New Life Rising, entitled, Dying to the Indispensable Self. Joining me today is our Director of Communications, Miles Stevens. Miles, welcome. Thanks, Grant. People may not know this because a lot of your work is behind the scenes, but you've got a hand in almost every message that we see at Christ Church. Print, digital, video, the in-person announcements that pastors make from the stage. So your input on our icebreaker is really important. Peeps. What do you think of them? Are they good? Are they bad? Listen, here's my prevailing memory and association with Peeps is that as a kid, my grandmother was obsessed with leaving Peeps out on the windowsill to get stale. And only after a couple of days did she insist that they were worth eating. Okay. And I remember the first time I ever tried a stale Peep that she left out and she had all this expectation in her face and I took a bite and I said, nope. (laughs) (laughs) Nope. Still nope. So I prefer a fresh Peep. I'm not going to go out of my way to get one, but if they're there... Yeah, I'll take one. Okay, neutral. So this is our first neutral to peeps. We were 0 for 3 previously, Mm -hmm. for those that have been following along, listening. But we have another recommendation. Someone said to microwave for four seconds. Now we know to set them out on the window seal. But Miles, you're our first person that didn't just react with disgust towards peeps. So congratulations. Oh, I'm glad I could just break these between all these. All right, so this entry in the devotional from Christianity Today, Dying to the Indispensable Self, the chapter begins with this premise and this idea that if we die to the vision of ourselves as great or essential, we can be freed up to live faithfully in childlike wonder and gratitude. If we let go of the measurable self, the view that the intrinsic value of our lives stems from our productivity or perceived importance, then we can be freed up to receive the gift of this given self. Miles, what resonated with you with this concept and just this entry in the devotional? The first thing that I want to do is just validate that this was a really difficult article to wrap my head around. It does such a great job of exemplifying this concept of the upside-down kingdom. So for me personally... One of the things that I have to reckon with as a communications director and as somebody who feels like we play the support, we're the pillars that kind of support and lift up ministry leaders, that's our role, is to feel incredibly essential. And not that we're not, but this inner sense of feeling like if I don't do this, if I don't show up and do what God made me to do in the way that he made me to do it, use my talents and my giftings, then it's not going to get done and it's not going to happen. And I'm going to impede the church. Yeah. And so this article in its entirety has contributed to how I've had to reckon with that, both as a communications person 
in ministry and also as an individual because this deals with something that just to be completely vulnerable and honest is something that God is having me reckon with in this season right now. This came at a moment when I happened to be dealing with a lot of sickness and having to step away from ministry as I explore and go through this process of understanding where that sickness is coming from. So I was hospitalized for pneumonia not long ago, and then that turned into, oh, hey, guess what? You have a mass in your lung. And because of all of that, I'm having to rely on others. And again, reckon with this idea that even though I step away, and even though I'm not here as much as I would like to be, the mission continues and the work continues with others. And the way that I support and do my role now is to just hold up my team and hold up others to continue that work. And so as I'm reading through all of this and reckoning what it looks like to not feel like it all rests on my shoulders, I'm thinking through what it looks like to let the Spirit and let God do His work without me. This isn't something that was planned or enjoyed, but it's also something that during this season I'm hearing you process. I'm already seeing God doing something in me through this Mm -hmm. and raising up these new ideas in me that wouldn't have happened otherwise. I love the idea of the pillars holding up the ministry of the church, and I'm sure that's so hard when when we talk about measurable self. So much in communications can be measured, and so I'm sure that's a constant temptation to try to measure analytics, numbers, clicks, all sorts of things like that with this weight of what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. We're a little bit of a different animal in ministry where day-to-day involves measuring. That's how we know what we're doing is working. Whereas in other ministries, your primary metric of how you're doing is people's hearts. It's individual conversations, and it's a lot more gray. And in a way, it's just a lot more nuanced. Whereas we're constantly judging ourselves. We're constantly adjusting. We're constantly trying to say what worked and what didn't. And so you can easily take that and put it on yourself as an individual in order to support the mission Mm -hmm. and push the vision forward. And if you keep following that red thread, you're going to start attributing success and failure to yourself. Yeah. And so if something's not working, oh, suddenly I'm not working. I'm not doing it. It's just a big risk. It's a big trap to fall into. We have to remind ourselves in communications that we're under the same rules and we're under the same God as anybody else working in ministry. Yeah. We're not doing it. The Spirit's doing it. Mm -hmm. We're just tools. Yeah. So that's what we constantly kind of reckon with. And this article really brings into stark relief the reality that actually our position is no different from any other ministry position. We have to rely on God. We have to rely on the Spirit to move and work and guide us to lift up leaders and the work that God has called them to do. Yeah, that dynamic of success and failure reminds me of Tim Keller talking about it when he talks about faith and work in every good endeavor and how this idol of your job as your whole personality. Mm. He says that in previous times, you used to introduce yourself based on where you're from or family, and now you introduce yourself and say, I'm Grant, I'm a pastor. You go straight to vocation. And he says that so much of that connects with this idea of success and failure because when our work becomes our identity, he says that success goes and 
fuels our head, we begin to think, I'm not just a successful blank, I'm successful. But then he said also failure robs our joy because I'm not just failing at this aspect of my job, I am a failure. And so that's huge. I think it connects too with the kind of controlling illustration that we see in this entry, drawing on the ideas from Walker Percy with the ex-suicide. He says that this person has been set free from the burdens of the measurable self, but he brings in that parallel, the burden of striving after greatness and the burdens of paralyzing futility. And I'm just curious, have you had to wrestle or how have you seen those two burdens pulling in opposite directions in your life? Primarily, I think we all have a bent. My personal bent is towards the greatness. And I think I'm as likely as anybody to be faced with a task or a thing that seems insurmountable or overwhelming and to feel that overwhelm and to feel the futility of it, right? From a really big scale. However, because of who I am, how I'm wired, for if it helps on the Enneagram, I'm a five. Okay, so if anyone's not familiar with either the Enneagram or what an Enneagram 5 is, the primary way that it defines people is based on your core fear and a core motivation. And so my core fear is to be useless and to be irrelevant. And my core motivation would be the inverse to be relevant, to be useful, and to be knowledgeable in all things as much as it pertains to me. I am motivated, not by necessarily doing a good job, by being efficacious, but by being effective in what I do, and that giving me a sense of worth. And so as I'm thinking through the barriers or rather what robs me of joy, the way that Tim Keller puts it. The first thing as I'm reading this through this whole article, I think about 1 Corinthians 2. The Spirit brought it to mind immediately as I was reading it, and Paul says that I desire to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I just thought, oh my goodness. Like, Paul was... A Pharisee of Pharisees. He basically had a celebrity teacher for a rabbi. He's incredibly well-educated. He knows so much about the law, and he's incredibly reputable. And yet here he is saying, forget it all. Forget the wisdom. Forget everything I think I know. The only thing that's worth knowing is Christ and him crucified. And so if I take that and apply it to myself and I go, oh man, the death of self And what that looks like for me, what would it look like for me to let go of the need, the fear that I feel to be useful or to be knowledgeable in all things? Because I don't want to just do it. I want to do it better than you. I want to know it better than you even so that I can be a resource, so that I can feel effective and helpful. What if I were to let go of that and say, no, the only thing worth knowing is Christ and him crucified? Would that remove that barrier from me? Would I be able to let go of that? Would I be able to let it stop it from robbing me of my joy? To let go of the anxiety that I put on myself as a five, as somebody who has to achieve and know and do, that would take me a lifetime. It will take me a lifetime to reckon with. But it's what this article is prompting me to do. It's what the Spirit is prompting me to do in reading this. Yeah, that's so good. In 1 Corinthians, you've got Paul writing to a church in a city that's the Corinth is this new money port city where rhetoric and teaching and being impressive was like the yeah. city's like cultural thing. <laughs> like us in barbecue, they were like being impressive <laughs> with speaking. And he's standing up and saying, How countercultural can I be? Oh, yeah. Christ and him crucified. 
not about impressive, which continues on through both of his letters. To your point, how countercultural can I be, says Paul, in so many ways. And I am at this, again, to bring it back, to give it traction to myself as a human, as an individual, right? Where God is taking me through the season of sickness, of stepping away, of kind of reevaluating where I find my worth and my value. This phrase that keeps coming back to me over the last, I don't know, month is how low can I go? How low can you bring me, God? Because this season has brought me to this place of having to rely on others, depend on others, depend on God to keep things moving forward. And so I just resonate with that so much. Yeah, it's such a good word. Yeah, you bring back up just the personal side. I'm curious. He talks about the ex-suicide. The thing that that I remember so clearly is like this distinction of breath caught up high in your chest versus being able to just freely exhale. Have you felt the exhaling kind of in your walk with your health right now, with family situations, everything that's been going on, it, that freedom of the ex-suicide that Walker Percy talks about. Where are you at with that dynamic personally? Yes. To just answer in a word, yes. I've felt the exhale. And so now I find myself in this position of, am I going to put myself in that place again? Or am I going to learn? Am I going to learn that I crucify my sense of self the way Jesus calls me to And the way that he has graciously put me in the position currently in the last two months to really feel and to challenge me with truly crucifying my sense of self, professional ways and personal ways. Am I going to run back to that place of feeling in control, yet feeling that anxiety and that breath caught in my chest again? Or am I going to feel that exhale Am I going to sit in it and accept it and say, oh, no, this is how God wants us to live. He wants us to live in this sense of dependence on him and his body, the way he works through his people to accomplish his mission. And for me to not co-opt his mission and make it my mission in the sense of ownership, but in this sense of cooperation and collaboration and entering into it. And at the end of the day, remembering it's God's mission. It's not mine. Mm. I'm just called to be a part of it. And so this is the question that I'm in. Maybe it's a question. Maybe it's almost, it's a fear. It's a trepidation. It's something that's in the front of my mind of how am I going to make sure that I maintain this exhale so that I can enjoy what God has actually graciously gifted to me in this season. Miles, I'm just struck by the beauty of the gospel coming out and what you're saying, that at the same time you're repeating this question, how low can I go, but also saying I'm finally able to exhale and I'm able to see what God's doing in the midst of this. And it's something that I shared in a hospital room, shared with others on the street, they would go, that makes no sense at all. Mm -hmm. Except for if what we're walking towards with Easter is really true, that out of the worst thing that ever happened in our world's history, the greatest thing truly happened, that out of darkness light really came, that out of Good Friday, Easter really came. It's something that only makes sense if this is all true. Yeah, couldn't agree more. And I would say that it's something we can talk about in this article and this whole concept overall is it can be esoteric. It can feel really hypothetical. It can feel just intellectual. 
And I think all of us at different points in our lives, I think God challenges all of us to make it a reality. I think he brings us to these moments where we have to experience it. I can't explain it to you. I can't make you understand it. We can nod our heads and go, yeah, die to self. That's good. And know in our heads, but not experience it in our hearts. And the only way to do that, I think, is for God to bring you there. Mm -hmm. And you can ask for it because God wants that for you. He wants you to die to yourself. He doesn't want you to lose your sense of who you are. Don't confuse the two. Don't conflate the two. God made you to be who you are. Your personality, your giftings, your who you're made to be. We're not meant to be this giant homogenous mass of human robots. That's not what we're getting at. What we're getting at is the flesh that Paul talks about, right? The selfish flesh that puts ourselves above others, above God, above mission. And so that's what God wants to kill. That's what we're called to crucify. That's what we're called to let go of. But because of how we're built, because of the world and the society we live in, I think we have to be brought to these places of being left with no choice but to let it go or else continue to make ourselves miserable. That's where I wanted to end is that this entry, like previous ones, ends with this idea that humble, unseen service is God's antidote to our strivings. And this is where this entry talks about where you realize you don't have to eradicate racism and then you're freed up to have a friendship with a friend from a different racial background or you don't have to turn back the moral decline of culture so you can have some teenagers over to your house for a bonfire. It says on 29, this profound denial of self-importance gives us the confidence we need to pursue fidelity rather than impact and obedience rather than efficacy. How can we do that? What does that look like through different spheres that we all find ourselves in, whether it be our lives, our families, our friendships, our neighbors and neighborhoods yeah. here at Christ Church, our jobs, the city, and just walk us through what where your mind's at in different spheres of our lives. It's such a good word, and it's something that I really struggle with. I'm an introvert by nature. I'm going to have a really hard time opening up to people, right? I'm going to have a really hard time being vulnerable, even doing this podcast right here and opening myself up a little bit to my journey and struggle, it's going to be hard. And so I say that simply because I hope anybody who's listening who maybe identifies with that knows they're not alone. However, when we really do let go of our sense of self, we crucify that sense of self, we let Jesus be who we are and let the Spirit guide us and realize that we have nothing to lose because we don't have anything but Christ to begin with, then suddenly we begin to let go of our pride. We begin to let go of what other people think, knowing that the highest thing that we can do for other people is love them, even if that looks maybe a little uncomfortable or expresses itself in ways that we've never gone out to express ourselves before. So I'll give you a professional and a personal example for me. And again, this is me. Right. This is not prescriptive. This is descriptive. Okay. So I'm not prescribing this to anybody. So again, we're in communications, right? And so if I let go of my sense of self, my achieving metric-based professional self, and realize that it is God's job to grow the church, it is God's job to move people's hearts, not mine through any clever copy that I write or marketing scheme I put together, anything like that. It is the Spirit's work to move people's hearts. Suddenly, if I really embody that, I'm actually really free 
to have open conversation with ministry leaders about where they are and what God's put on their hearts for ministry and to kind of meet them in a better, more personal, loving place rather than immediately try to take over and say, okay, we're going to put together a strategy that looks like this, 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 and this, this, this. Now that is part of my job, right? We do need to do some of that to be intentional and to steward the resources we're given. However, that's no longer the presiding mentality. Now I can just be a human with another human. I can be a brother with another brother or another sister, and I can bring the talents and expertise I have to meet them where they are and feel the freedom knowing that, hey, the Spirit's going to do the work. We're just facilitating. We're just being faithful in having this conversation and in us showing up in our respective roles to achieve it. And I say that because I understand that it's really hard to reconcile this whole idea of if I die to myself, suddenly I'm free to do all these other things. How does that play out? And so that's a professional example. But a more personal example is if I'm not so worried about what other people think of me, or if I'm not so afraid to put myself out there and know what Christ wants for the world, for me and my neighbors, is to know him, then maybe I'm not so afraid to talk to my neighbor. Maybe I'm not so afraid to wave to say hi, to invite them over to a bonfire. And that really is a good example for me in particular because of where I live. I live out in the country and we do have bonfires a lot and there are no fences and we have a lot of land between our neighbors, but we see each other a lot working in our yards. And so if I have a bonfire and I see my neighbor doing stuff outside, maybe I'm not so afraid to wave him down and just say, hey, and how's it going? And Because I'm not so afraid of expectation or pride, or looking like a weirdo, right? If I'm just primarily concerned with what Christ wants for me and for how he wants me to work with my neighbors. I think those are some general broad ideas, but I hope it helps give some legs to this idea of how dying to yourself frees you to just be who Christ wants you to be. Yeah, and frees you up. Yeah, absolutely. I think what I'm hearing you say is that it frees you up to live intentional in the small things. Yeah. That without the burdens of this is the most important thing and the fate of everything is resting on my efforts or the flip side of it is it's all meaningless so we can do this or we cannot do this and it's just whatever you can be intentional with approaching a neighbor or approaching a meeting or approaching a relationship and see that i can't do everything and i can't do nothing but i can do something that's exactly and, and right. this is what the something is yeah. and this may just be set up for something that I'll even have no clue of what it will lead to. I remember I was with a ministry partner at a, a conference and someone was talking to us and said that your work may just be laying train tracks that someone else is going to go down 30 years from now. And yet you're still faithfully called to lay them. And I think that mindset resonates with this because it may just be something small and Christ will be honored. That's exactly right. And I love how you bring it from the big to the small, because that's exactly what Bill Bro does in this article. That's the contrast he shows. You don't have to solve racism, is his example, but by releasing yourself from that and realizing that you are not essential to that, suddenly you're free to listen to a friend from a different racial background. So he's taking it from big to small and individual. And that's exactly right. We can't affect the whole world, but... We are called to be present in these little moments 
that we're given. God gives us our families and our kids. He gives us two or three people who happen to live next to us. The proximity of that is a gift. And we can act on that. This whole article takes this concept, if you've been in church for any length of time, and if you've run in church circles for any length of time, you've probably heard it preached or taught. Hey, God chooses to love you just because of who you are and that he created you and made you to glorify him. Not because of what you can do, not because of what you can give, but just because he made you and that's it. It takes that concept and it ratchets it up to 11 and says, actually, you're based on what you can do, you're not that great. You're not that special. In fact, you're completely dispensable. And at first, that's so hard. But when you really sit with it and realize that it's because God is the one who does the work, not you, it is so freeing. And it's not a condemnation. It's a mark of freedom. Amen. Miles, thank you so much for your vulnerability, for your thoughts, and thanks for joining us on this podcast. Thanks for having me. And thank you guys so much for listening to our discussion on Christianity Today's New Life Rising. Next week, we'll be back with a new guest looking at the fifth chapter, Descending the Summit of Success. Take up and read, church, and we'll see you then.